Okay, we uh, will start a new series of teachings uh, about some of the letters in the New Testament. If you have read the New Testament, you probably know that there are many letters or epistles in the New Testament. Uh, probably you know, like Paul, he wrote epistles. Uh, John, uh, we have the epistles of Peter, uh, James, there are many epistles. Uh, but what many people maybe fail to realize is that in the New Testament, there are actually also some letters from Jesus. And, and then I don't think about, you know, uh, from Jesus in the sense that Jesus is God and the whole Bible is the Word of God. But there are some letters in the New Testament from Jesus himself to some specific churches. And I believe, as we will look more at, uh, here today, that these letters are not only for these specific churches, but these letters have a message for us today. Um, many people, they are not even aware. Probably you know, uh, you realize that I'm talking about the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelations. Uh, but many people, they don't realize that these are, these are actually letters from Jesus, a message from Jesus himself to specific churches. And the reason why many people, they don't uh, maybe have never really studied these letters is because they are found in a book called the book of Revelations. Uh, and many people, they stay away from that book. I mean, the, the idea many people have of the book of Revelation is that it's kind of uh, strange symbols. It is dragons, it is horns, it is uh, all kinds of strange things that maybe is hard to understand. So we just stay away from it, which is a sad thing because the book of Revelation is very relevant for us today. And in fact, the book of Revelation is not as hard to understand as what many people think. Actually, many things in the book of Revelation is actually explained in the book itself. Uh, what the seven lampstands is, it's explained. What the seven stars is, it is explained. Even when it comes to, you know, these dragons and these things, a lot of these things are explained in the book if you just take time to read it. Uh, but my study now will, will not be uh, kind of an in-depth study of the book of Revelation. What I want to focus on is these seven letters that Jesus is sending or this message to the seven churches. Um, people have, how to say, studied these, uh, these letters. Very often they study them in the context of um, studying the book of Revelation, and I think that's good. There, there is a lot of uh, good things we can get from studying these letters in the sense of them being a part of the book of Revelation, and I think that's very relevant. But I think one of the things we often miss because we approach these letters this way is that we miss that these letters have a very practical teaching, a message to us today, who are living today. Uh, these letters, they are kind of like a report card where Jesus is sending a message to seven different churches uh, 
where he is saying some things that he is happy about and he is talking about some things that he is not so happy about and he is telling them what they need to do to get back on track again. And I don't know how you would feel if you would get a report card from Jesus where he is kind of giving you a report what he likes about your life, what he doesn't like and maybe that's kind of like a scary thought. Uh, getting this kind of letter from Jesus. Um, maybe there are a lot of things there that we know, oh yes, I probably should have done something about that. Or maybe there are things there that you maybe would not be aware about. But this is what happen, happening here in chapter 2 and 3, is that Jesus is sending a message to seven different churches. And I believe that these seven churches were in fact real churches with the real issues that we read about uh, in uh, chapter 2 and 3. So, so I don't believe that these churches are uh, kind of um, just a symbolic. Uh, I do believe that they can maybe have a prophetic uh, implications in why exactly these churches were chosen. But I think the, the main point here is to catch the message because in these letters, it is revealed things that Jesus likes and things that he doesn't like. And that should be relevant for us today because I think for all Christians, we want to please the master. And in these letters, Jesus himself is explaining uh, certain things that he doesn't like in a church and things he does like. So reading this letter, uh, these letters, uh, I, I think is very relevant for us today. Uh, as I said, we will not look kind of at these letters in the sense of studying the book of Revelations, uh, kind of trying to explain symbolisms and all of these things. But I want to focus on these letters looking at the message that they bring. Because I believe that these letters uh, have a message for us today. Uh, as we do that, I, I just want to address, because I know that in the body of Christ today, there is a tendency to, uh, maybe it's partly because of uh, an overemphasis, I think, on dispensations. Uh, there is this tendency to kind of view the Old Testament that was for the Jews, that belonged to the uh, Old Testament time, the Old Covenant. And then, of course, many of people will say, well, the new, the, the Gospels, they belong kind of to the Old Covenant, so they are not really for us today. Uh, many people will even say that even parts of the letters are not for us today. I have heard Christians, for instance, say that uh, the letter of James, uh, that was kind of, uh, that is not for us, that is more for Jews. And then they kind of focus a lot on the epistle of Paul, kind of him being the apostle of grace. And I think that's a great misunderstanding of how to, how to use the Bible. The Bible is the word of God from beginning to the end. We need the Old Testament, we need the Gospels, we need all the epistles, and we need the book of Revelations. And I, I don't think we can pick and choose uh, 
uh, and say that I only want to read the letters of Paul or stuff like that. No, everything is the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is inspired by God. That means that even the Old Testament, we need it today. Actually, the, the only Bible the first Christians had was the Old Testament. So if the Old Testament was good enough for Paul and Peter and all the first uh, disciples, then I think we can agree that the Old Testament is good enough for us today. Uh, all the letters, the Gospels, everything is the Word of God. And I think also it, it is maybe relevant to understand that when, when Paul and Peter and the others, when they were writing the epistles that they were writing or the letters, they understood that these letters would be read not only by the, pe by the people it was sent to, but they would also be read to other people. In fact, Paul is specifically saying this in Colossians 4, 16. He, he is saying to the Colossians, after you have read this letter, pass it on to the church in Laodicea so that they can read it. And you should also read the letter I wrote them. So Paul is kind of specifying that even though he sent the letters to the Colossians, he is specifying that you need to send this letter also to the church in Laodicea. And he is telling them, you also should read the letter that I'm sending them. So it is not a strange idea that the, the letters in the New Testament was read by other people than only the people that is was sent to. That means that we can read the letter to the Colossians and it can be for us. There are things that we can learn there. We can learn from the letter to the Ephesians, to the Romans. Um, the, I've heard people say it's better to learn from other people's mistakes than to do all the mistakes yourself. And that's true. So instead of doing all the mistakes yourself, it's better to read what Paul was writing to uh, the Galatians and not end into legalism. Uh, it's better to read what uh, James was writing or what Peter was writing to avoid doing the same mistakes yourself. And that's true when it comes to these uh, letters that Jesus or these messages that Jesus have to these seven churches. We need to read them because there are things there that we can learn today. They have an important message for us today. So what I will do is that I, I want to, we will not read through the whole chapter two and three. You can do that yourself. I would encourage you to do that, to read chapter two and three. But what I will do is that, that I will pick out some specific things in these letters, uh, some points that Jesus is making. And, and I will kind of try to summarize all the letters, picking out some certain points that is highlighted in these uh, letters for, that we can uh, learn from. 
So let us start. Um, the first church that is mentioned is the church in Ephesus. And this church gets a lot of praise from Jesus. Uh, basically, there is only one thing in this church that he is not really happy about, even though that thing was very important for him. We see that this church was, a, was in most part, this was a very, very good church. And the, the thing that this church gets special praise for is that they were very diligent when it came to doctrine. And I think that's important to know that for Jesus, our doctrines are important. It is not the same whether you believe this or that, or if you don't believe this, or if you don't believe that. No, it is very clear to the letter in Ephesians that having sound doctrine is something that Jesus likes. He praises them for being diligent when it comes to, uh, to the doctrine. He praises them for, for their endurance, for their suffering, a lot of different things. But one of the first things he mentions is that he, he praises them for being diligent when it comes to exposing false teachers and sticking to true doctrine. In Revelations 2.2, he is uh, saying to, uh, to the church in Ephesus, I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. So this is the first thing that Jesus is praising this church for. He is praising them for being diligent when it comes to doctrine. What does that teach us? that teach us that we should not be careless when it comes to doctrine. Doctrine is important. Doctrine is, uh, is very fundamental in, in our faith, and it's not the same what people believe. Uh, as we will look later, there is another issue in the church of Ephesus that, that how to say, if this issue is not addressed, basically the doctrine will not really help you. But that doesn't change the fact that the first thing that these, this church gets praise for is that it's very sound on doctrine. And it's interesting to know, if you read in Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 28 and to 31, around there, we see Paul, he is having his last meeting with the church elders in Ephesus. And when he is having this meeting, uh, he is telling them very specifically to be careful when it comes to allowing false teaching to, to come in. And from Jesus' address to this church, it looks like they have, they have done what Paul told them to do. They have been diligent when it comes to keeping false doctrines away. Uh, from the church. And I think this is relevant today because in the church today uh, there, is a, there is a longing for unity and that's good. We should strive and work for unity with the whole body of Christ. That is very, very important. But listen, 
we shouldn't sacrifice doctrine in the name of unity. I want to repeat that. We should not sacrifice doctrine in the name of unity. Because there is this tendency where people often have this idea that ah, it's not so important whether you believe in this or that or whether they believe in, uh, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit or if they don't believe in this or if they believe in uh, this kind of baptism or that kind of baptism or and then we kind of say, no, no, let's not, you know, get into doctrines. Uh, let's just, you know, be happy together. And that's good. Yes, we, we should be able to work together with people who maybe have different opinions than we have. But still, it's very important that we understand that for Jesus, doctrine is important. Having the right foundation. And we shouldn't sacrifice unity in in the name of uh, in the name of uh, we shouldn't sacrifice doctrine in the name of unity was what I was trying to say and it's very interesting because Jesus he is very specific when he addresses the false teaching today very often we kind of if if we address false teaching we kind of try to avoid to give names uh, trying to be political correct, we don't want to name names. Jesus, he is very direct. He explains exactly who he is talking about. To the church in Ephesus, uh, he is mentioning this group of people called the Nicolaeans. Uh, this ch the, the church in Ephesus, they are being praised because they hate these people. Or in uh, Revelation 2.6, it says, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaeans, which I also hate. So the church in Ephesus, they get praise because they are diligent with doctrine and they are not accepting the, the teaching of the Nicolaeans. Yet it is interesting to see when, we, when you read through the letters, when you come to the letter to, the, to Pergamum, then suddenly... It says in Revelations 2, 15 to 16. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaeans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So Ephesus is being praised for hating the, the practices of the Nicolaeans. And Ephesus, no, Pergamon, they are being reprimanded because there are some people in their midst that hold to this teaching. Um, there are other false teachers mentioned, like Jezebel is one of uh, the false prophets that is mentioned, and Jesus mentions her by name. So Jesus is very concrete when he is addressing this. Um, I think it's very interesting to see that it was not only that they didn't agree with Jezebel or with uh, the Nicolaeans, but they get reprimanded for, for tolerating them. I think that's kind of fascinating because today we become so nice and so uh, we want to be friends with everyone, so we almost tolerate everything. No. 
as the people of God, there are things we shouldn't tolerate. We shouldn't tolerate evil. evil. And as the church in Ephesus gets praised for, we shouldn't tolerate uh, false teaching. We should be very clear and specific when it comes to uh, false teaching. There are a lot of different theories about who these Nicolaeans is, and I, I will not go into all the different uh, thoughts and ideas on who these are, uh, because that's not my point in going through this, but from the things that are mentioned, both in connection with the Nicolaeans and uh, with Jezebel, we see that sound, they didn't hold to sound doctrine. That was one thing and holiness was not really high on their list. The uh, sin or uh, lawlessness or uh, sexually uh, immorality as I mentioned in connection with these people. So it's very clear that holiness was not really high on their list. And I think that's very important today because today there, there has been a focus on grace where almost grace is being um, lifted up above holiness, where suddenly holiness doesn't become so important because God is so gracious that even if you live in sin or if you are living a lukewarm Christian life, don't worry about it. God, He is gracious. Just be happy and just come to church and everything will be okay. No, God is still holy and God still wants holiness. Even in the New Testament, in the letter of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 12, 14, it says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So if you want to see the Lord, you need to walk in holiness. That is not an Old Testament thing. No, that's a New Testament thing. Holiness, the only difference in the Old and the New Testament is that in the Old Testament, holiness was put upon them. In the New Testament, holiness is supposed to come from within us and out. So holiness is important. Uh, holiness is not uh, a pillow for those who want to live a lukewarm Christian life. So just to sum up, the first point that is mentioned in these letters is a praise when it comes to doctrine. That should teach us today that when it comes to our walk with God, we shouldn't sacrifice doctrine in the name of unity. We should strive for unity with all believers, yes. But listen, there, there, there are two approaches to unity. One approach is to try to sort out all theological differences. If that is your approach, then you will never arrive at unity. We will never sort out all theological approach. But there is another approach. If I seek to get as close to God as possible, and you seek to get as close to God as possible, and the group over there is seeking to get as close to God as possible, if we are here and God is here, the closer we get to God, the closer we get to each other. And I believe that's the way to unity. The way to true unity is each and every one of us seeking to get to as close to God as possible 
And when we get fully intimate and close with him, then we will also get closer to each other. So that was unity. The next point we will look at is the reprimand or the, the, thing, the issue that Jesus had with the church in Ephesus, which was that they had lost their first love. And it's very interesting to see how important this point is for Jesus, the point that they had lost their first love. So we will look at that next time, but we will take a break for now. Amen.